0: There's a difference between a mentor and a coach, and today we're going to talk about that difference in addition to the intersection between business and psychology with Cameron Yarborough, CEO of Torch and founder of Well Clinic. If you're someone that is looking for a mentor or a coach as you break into tech or you just want to be surrounded by peers, make sure you download the Career Karma app by going to breakingintostartups.com download. Or if you just want a support system and you want to be connected to anybody in tech, make sure you go to com slash download to get the Career Karma app. Because on today's episode, you're going to understand the importance of therapy, the importance of mental health, the importance of coaches and how historically it has been inaccessible to people and how. Cameron is using his background to democratize this for the world. If this is your first time listening to the Breaking Stars podcast, make sure you leave a review on iTunes. You tell your friends. You listen to it on SoundCloud. You talk about it on Spotify. You encourage more people to host the podcast on their platform because this isn't just a show to elevate our voices. This is a show to elevate your voice. And if you have any feedback for us, positive or negative, please let us know. Our emails are Ruben. Archer Timor at breakingintostartups.com. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Art and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking the podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
1: Yeah, so today uh, we're sitting just north of Market in San Francisco, and like we always say, our guests don't come to us, we come to them. So we broke into another startup called Torch, and Ruben is about to introduce the guest.
0: Yeah, so first of all, I want to give a shout out to Gary Tan, not only because this is one of the waviest interviews that we've ever done, but also because we're interviewing. Cameron Yarbrough, who is the CEO of Torch. He's one of the best executive coaches in the world. And not only are we going to talk about coaching and mentorship for executives, but we're going to talk about coaching in general for everyone. And we're going to go into how he created this company and talk about all kinds of other different things. But first, I just want to say welcome, Cameron.
2: Thanks, fellas. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank, well, It's a
0: pleasure to be here with you as well. Why don't we just start off by talking about coaching in general and the problem that you're solving and why it's relevant for not just executives, but anyone thinking about a career.
2: I got into coaching because I'm incredibly interested in the intersection between psychology and business. And so this is an industry that really encompasses my two biggest professional passions. And I would say about the executive coaching industry in general is that it kind of started out as something, it sort of originally evolved out of sports back, you know, 20, 30 years ago when people saw that, you know, professional athletes were having these individualized coaches that were helping them succeed. I think what happened was high profile professionals started to kind of get, see this happening and they wanted to have a coach for themselves. The people who were a natural fit for this role came, had backgrounds in psychology Which is where some of the stigma, I think, originally with coaching came from, is that it carried with it some of that stigma that therapy carried with it. So people were kind of clandestine about it. They didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want people to know they were working with their own, you know, executive (laughs) coach. Right. So, but eventually what happened is people came out of the closet about the fact that they were working with coaches and these were very high profile people and they were incredibly successful people. So over the course of the last couple of decades, coaching has turned into this sort of elite service that very, very highly successful people get to benefit from.
0: Got it. Got it. So that makes a lot of sense. And to your point, speaking about athletes, you would argue that like if it wasn't for Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, they wouldn't have won so many games. And these coaches tend to be only for people that are elite. But How are you, what problem are you solving related to making this more accessible for people?
2: Yeah. So originally these individuals who branded themselves as executive coaches would charge, you know, and they still do charge thousands of dollars an hour for their service. So if you want to work with any of the highest profile coaches in the country, you're going to pay anywhere from $500 an hour to $5,000 an hour. I'm not exaggerating. So obviously those prices aren't available at those rates coaching isn't available to people who are farther down the quote unquote power stack within the organization. Right. Yeah. So this was the problem that I saw. I would walk into organizations. I would be coaching the CEO, but I would see mid-level managers. I would see individual contributors who would all could also benefit from coaching, but I couldn't access them and they couldn't access me. So I'd set out to try and solve this problem in order to democratize the service.
1: Got it. Yeah. And when it comes to coaching, I think everyone has an idea of like what a athlete's coach does. What does a coach or a CEO like what kind of advice, what kind of problems does a CEO have that they might need like someone like a coach to come in and advise them on?
2: So a lot of people think that coaching is really about, you know, finding a mentor, someone who's going to give you tactical advice about the problem you need to solve next. But generally leaders who are hiring coaches aren't using a coach for tactical advice, they'll use their board members for that, or they have specific tactical advisors who are giving them counsel on how to solve the next strategic problem. What an executive coach is actually doing is helping them manage their own psychology and their own emotions. As many startup founders will tell you, they're they're consumed by this constant undying feeling of dread on a day-to-day basis.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could relate to that. Yeah, been there.
2: <laughs> people oftentimes will come to coaching because you know they'll have a couple of ideas about why they want to you know problems they want to solve and what they'll sort of how they'll lean on their coach but really what's motivating them is this feeling of dread that comes with this incredible challenge of creating a startup
0: yeah and it sounds like it's a it's a you know when it comes to supporting someone emotionally it sounds very manual and i know like historically people have said like, well, coaching and mentorship isn't scalable. And I know that you have some kind of software play to this. How are you thinking about addressing this problem from a technology perspective? I know you mentioned some things about tracking, like what does your software do for people?
2: So it's true that coaching as an industry has been a very, very fragmented market, right? And so this is one of those problems that we want to solve by creating this global marketplace of executive coaches all of whom who have graduate degrees and domain experience and that we sort of pre-select as they kind of come through our selection process and we filter out the best ones, right? And, and, And import them onto our platform. So that's part of the issue is that we have to do the vetting to find the best people. The other problem we're trying to solve is that historically coaching has not seen much innovation in terms of software and analytics. So this was a problem I always saw as a coach myself is that there was very little available in terms of how to track Mm -hmm. the outcomes that come from coaching, right? So the industry has seen what's called a 360 review, and that's been an important, that's been a a product that's been available in the coaching industry for quite some time, but that's kind of been it. It's really a a robust survey. Yeah. So what we're doing is building a software platform that encompasses a 360 review, but it also... Encompasses a, a similar what's similar to an, an OKR platform, Got which it. is once we get the results of the assessment back, the software then populates a set of goals for that person to work on. The coach has visibility into those goals. the mm-hmm. and The employee has visibility into those goals, and then we measure that progress over time. And then lastly, it's very important for the HR department to have some sort of a gauge into whether the coach is making progress with that employee. Right, because you're asking them to foot the bill. So, so we have a dashboard that allows the HR department to log in and see how their employees are doing over time. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: what are some of the examples of the like progress, quote unquote, or OKRs that people could set for themselves?
2: So, if it comes out, turn as a result of my 360 review, it turns out that I need to work on executive presence. I may be assigned to go watching some TED talks, Mm -hmm. or reading a book, or taking a enrolling in Toastmasters so that I work on my public Mm -hmm. speaking, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they're typically things that are soft skills based, but Mm -hmm. translate into more powerful leadership. So then would
1: your platform track like them taking the class and would show you like at a quarterly review, like, hey, this person did X, Y, Z to hit his goal.
2: Yeah. It still requires that the employee self-reports that they actually
1: did did take the
2: class and that they did actually watch the TED talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, But we'd pull survey a couple of allies right around that person to gauge whether or not they're actually improving
1: yeah. right okay
2: so if we're working with an employee, we will pulse a survey the manager, a colleague, maybe a direct report, and say hey is is Joe actually improving yeah. that executive presence interesting,
0: so they get a feedback loop from them and then that's also fed to like an HR department so they can see visibility into how th- that person
1: is doing on their task.
2: Right. Basically, our whole methodology is built on productizing
1: feedback. Got it. Got it. So it sounds like setting the OKRs and maybe I'll ask you kind of two questions. One is what is an OKR? The other one is how can someone who's looking to break into tech apply the approaches to their own kind of journey and tackling, like learning new skills?
2: So an OKR stands for objective and key results. It was popularized by Google Mm -hmm. a few decades ago. And it is a just, just sort of a a tool for driving results, yeah. right? So the objective is typically a stretch goal, and the KRs are these drivers, right? Got it. And then we adopted that we adopted that framework so that for so, leadership based soft skills, yeah. And that's what our learning goals tool is. It's a it's it's an OKR based tool for driving leadership soft skills that move leadership. Got it.
1: Got it. And so yeah. And the second question was around. Like our listeners, majority of them are learning a new skill as we speak. And a lot of them want to get jobs in tech like engineering, design, which require them to put in hours of work into it. So, how can they apply just the concepts and things that you teach uh, or your tool teaches the clients to their own uh, kind of daily struggles?
2: So, how can they? The question is how can employ someone who's not already working at a startup, mm-hmm. how could they apply some of methodology, a, a methodology? Yeah. yeah okay. That's a great question. I mean, the, the first thing that I would recommend to people is, is reading. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, when I wanted to get in, I started just reading a tremendous amount. I read books, I read articles, I read books. So I just did a tremendous amount of research to help me get here, to help me kind of break in, if you will. Yeah. Other methodologies that I would apply, I would say work on yourself, work on your relationships. And I did that through through meditation. I did that through lots of my own personal therapy. I did that through my own journaling and my own writing. So these are the ways that I'd cultivated greater sense of self-awareness so that I could get into the position where once I am in leadership, that I would be able to more likely to yeah. succeed.
1: And it sounds like the advice you're giving, it's about looking inwards because a lot of people think, how can I go outwards and like go to meetups or look at different courses? Your advice sounds like they should look at themselves and maybe ask themselves, "What's their learning style?" and like, "What is like, what are some things they're doing well? What can they do better?" and things like that. Would you advise to have like an accountability group, or have your peers provide, have your peers like provide feedback around things that you're trying to do and how you're doing with that?
2: Right. So, what I said earlier that you know we're we're doing at Torch is productizing feedback. Mm -hmm. So. When you're not working in an organization, you have to simulate that on your own, right? So you could do that through your own peer network. You could do do that through getting into your own group therapy if you want to. That's another option. But I would start with that. I would start with research, reading and learning and looking inward through meditation, through therapy, Mm -hmm. through any kind of, you know, through through your spirituality, through any kind of contemplation that helps you learn more about yourself. Yeah. That will set you up for success once you put into the hotbed that is startup.
1: Yeah. yeah. And we think of CEOs, kind of unrelated note, we think of CEOs as like these well put together people who are composed, confident. They get explained like the company's vision. They're speaking with investors. They have everything going for them. But in your experience, since you kind of get to see the behind the curtain look, what are some of the common struggles like these people in high positions of power experience and what are their, some of their self doubts?
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I think that CEOs typically are trained to be very, very polished when they're in front of the camera or when they're speaking at all hands, but a lot of times internally, they're just working just as hard as mm-hmm. anybody to manage incredible stress, incredible anxiety and incredible insecurity and mm-hmm. constant feelings of vulnerability they're just very, very well trained at how to present. Mm. So I would say that you know it's very, very typical of startup founders. First of all, I will tell you from all anecdotally speaking, from all the different people that I've worked with, a lot of startup CEOs actually come from a lot of turbulence in their families of origin. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of trauma actually in the family of origins of people who end up in startup leadership. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that is it's is that because they came from family of origins that had a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. they are uniquely positioned to be able to handle the incredible amount of stress and anxiety and turbulence Mm -hmm. that they have to face in startup. The number one like painful, difficult thing that a startup founder has to deal with is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. The anxiety that comes with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And when you grow up in a family system with lots of trauma, that child is constantly dealing with the uncertainty around danger mm-hmm. and and figuring out how to get themselves out mm-hmm. of that danger.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's, that's amazing. And is there any, any other like common themes that you've seen in most of the CEOs that they face?
2: You know, I, I would say, and maybe this is just the, uh, Silicon Valley in particular, but they are incredibly progressive when it they'll do anything mm-hmm. that it takes to be successful even if that requires owning their own vulnerability and being very progressive about how they treat that. Mm-hmm. So that's why you see a lot of start, like most startup CEOs that you are actually in therapy in addition to having a coach. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Interesting.
1: And so, a quick question on that topic, what do you see like, kind of as these founders raise more money, like what type of challenges are they starting to face? Because a lot of the time we think that, oh, they just raised a million uh, f- like 500 million dollars that must be happy but like what are some new challenges that come with having more money that you're responsible for
2: you know it seems like on the from the outside that that person is going to be more and more stressed out as the company scales mm. but it's it's not necessarily true what happened they're they're just incredibly stressed out all the time Absolutely. from the very beginning until it's over and even when it's over they're stressed because now they have this feeling of abandonment and loss mm-hmm. around their identity and who they were—it's yeah. just stressful all the time. The challenges just change, but as you like once you're trying to raise a Series C, for example, you are say you're trying to raise a fifty million dollar mm-hmm. round. You've learned a lot mm-hmm. getting to that point, mm-hmm. so you're able to handle your psyche is able to handle that challenge because you've learned so much to get to that point yep. where you're raising a Series C, but. So it's just as stressful for that person raising a series C as it was for raising the original angel round.
0: Yeah, and speak and I know we only have ten minutes left, but the first the work that you're doing is incredibly important, very difficult to do. How many managers exist to be able to create this this marketplace that you're talking about? Or executive coaches exist to create this executive marketplace? How big is the market? How did you address creating your MVP or your minimum viable product, so to speak, without technology? Because I know you face some issues hiring Software engineers and things like that. So, can you kind of talk about how you address that and how you convince investors to invest in something that they typically don't invest in?
2: We think this is about a fifteen billion dollar untapped market, and you know, roughly the the way that we get to that market market size is if there's three million managers throughout the U.S. that are actually within the addressable market. You know, that filters out a lot of like say like retail like retail managers, et cetera. But three million professional managers at five hundred dollars a person, that's a fifteen billion dollar market. Right. So what was the second part of your question? So so that's
0: the size of the market. So you know how big it is. You you're able to tell paint that picture to investors, but you didn't have engineers in the beginning or you had very few technical resources. So you approach things manually and some people call that doing things that don't scale. So how did you start creating these matches and these allies to demonstrate to investors that this is going to work? before you started building tech and how did you convince
2: investors to put dollars behind it after that so our mvp our minimum viable product was literally just a matchmaking service between coaching between coaches and employees mm-hmm. right and we just did that via email and then we would turn them loose on zoom and we would send out a monthly invoice it was really that simple like mm-hmm. anybody can do it yeah uh-huh. right but we did that enough and we built up the we built up enough recurring revenue that was not, that was, and we had very low churn, I meaning yeah. the people that we were matching with coaches were sticking. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, with that story, we were able to go to investors and say, Hey, investors, this is, you know, we have real product market fit when it comes to actual coaching. Yeah. We think that there is an incredible amount of software that we can build around this service of executive coaching mm-hmm. that will that will make the coaches better yeah. that will allow us to recruit more coaches from all over the world mm-hmm. that will create defensibility and a genuine moat yeah. from our competitors. Yep. So invest in us so that we can build software products and analytics tools around the coaching experience yeah. that will allow us to scale.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And uh, it's it's incredible, incredible how you can think about these like systemic like building blocks because now you're taking something that you've been doing and thinking of it as a product and now you're able to solve these problems so your customers can get the questions answered in a very seamless way. Your story is unique because you're also founder of a company and you're founder of a company that's providing this advice. So for yourself, what are your daily routines? Like how do you manage your own psychology and your own relationship with your employees kind of on a daily basis?
2: That's a great question. So it's an it's a huge focus of mine. Mm-hmm. And what I would say, a couple of the hacks that I use, you know, I work with a therapist. I've been working with the same therapist for about five years. So I meet with her over phone every single week, and so she's sort of like my go to therapist slash, slash coach. So that's that's probably the number one thing that I use. I also exercise every single about five days a week, mm-hmm. and exercise is, is proven to be as successful at managing anxiety and depression as antidepressants, at least in in like moderate to medium Mm -hmm. level grades of anxiety and depression. Exercise is just as powerful as antidepressants. Yeah. So I I do regular exercise, I swim. I ride my bike, I walk, mm-hmm. uh, I hike a lot. I have two kids, so I have to So I have to combine yeah. a lot of my exercise with yeah. my children. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I put a 30-pound toddler on my back and I'll go like climb a mountain. Yeah, nice. yeah
0: I love it. And yeah. I know you got five minutes left before your last interview, so I'll bake these last questions into kind of like our lightning round that we normally do um, that Timor usually talks about around where we share tactical advice. But um, you mentioned HR people having a view into what the executive coaches are doing is that who you sell to what's the usually the process when it comes to reaching out to them and then we'll go into like the personal like lightning round stuff
2: yeah we're b2b only so we're, we're primarily selling, to in smaller startups, we'll sell directly to the CEO because the CEO is the, is the HR department yeah. until the company gets to be around 60 to 100 people, Got and it. you'll see a head of people. Mm-hmm. And at, at that point, we're selling to the head of people. So mm-hmm. for small businesses, we're oftentimes selling to the CEO. Got it. For once a company kind of gets into growth stage, we'll be selling to a head of HR. Once they're mid-market, you know, we're a thousand employees, they'll typically have a ahead of learning and development and that's who we'll be selling to
0: got it and is the vision for it to go from executives to eventually go down market so make it more accessible for mid-level and individual
2: contributors that's really just that's and and it's actually true to who we are and what our real genuine mission is is we want to make executive coaching available down market if you will within the organization yeah so you know, inevitably, we have executives coming onto the platform because mm-hmm. we don't exclude them. Mm-hmm. But really, the focus of our whole platform and our methodology and our marketing, et cetera, is really focused on managers.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. So cool. So, part, part of the reason why, you know, so I guess we'll go into lightning round now. I called it the most waviest interview ever is because you're a surfer and the places that you've chosen to live is because you love to surf. Um, so, can you talk a little bit more about? why surfing means so much to you.
2: Surfing was actually growing up, it was something that I could do on my own. And I could sort of, it's very meditative when you're sitting out there in the water and you're by yourself. It was great for just alone time and managing my own anxiety. It's also incredibly scary and challenging when the surf gets big. When you crash on like a 12 to 15 foot wave, you get held under the water. Wow. And, you know, up here, the water's cold and it's turbulent. You have to be able to let go when you're under the water being tumbled by a wave. Because if you panic, you can drown. Yeah. Right. So you have to learn how to, when you're down there, held down, you don't know which way is up. Yeah. You just have to let go. And try. you just have to relax. Yeah. And that's a perfect metaphor for being in a startup.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or anything in
2: life, or yeah. mo- most things in life. Trust
0: your struggle. Um, There's some things you control, some things you can't. Sometimes you just got to just chill.
2: And interestingly, if you are able to just relax and let go and not worry about which direction is up, the natural buoyancy of your body just floats you up to the top
1: of the ocean. Fire.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to tweet that one around.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when so it
1: comes, uh, let's do one more question. So when it comes to kind of advice you have for people who are looking to break into tech, Let's take the twenty-year-old who's graduating from college. You haven't gone through this journey. What would you want them to know now that you've done it? A, like a, you're a CEO of a company.
2: I would say it's like play your game. I was a therapist, right? <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd run you know small businesses before, but really, I was a therapist mm-hmm. when I wanted to break into tech, and so. I didn't go out and try to get a degree to become a software engineer because that's not who I am.
1: Yeah. So stay true to yourself. Know who you are, play your game.
2: Know who you are and play your game. So what I did was I broke into tech by doubling down on on the industry of psychology and the business background that I had and just accessing it through that portal. There's a portal just about everywhere, right? Yeah. You just need to find that portal for yourself and that has to be true to who you are.
1: Yeah. And then you align uh, with people who can build a tech, right? Yeah. So like kind of know yourself, know your competency and just double down and go for it.
0: Yep. Go to your portal. Love all right, man. So what's the best way to stay in touch with you?
2: Best way to stay in touch with us, first of all, is to read our blog at torch.io. to Follow us on Twitter torch la- at torchlabs and email info at torch.io. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome.
0: So without further ado, let's break in. Thank you, Cameron. Bud, thanks.
1: Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, Encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.